All right, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here in worship on this Labor Day weekend. And uh, just like Terrence said at the beginning, it is so great. I just came in and felt so great that this big cyclone fence was down. This, um, I just feel like, oh my gosh, it's been a crazy summer. And um, it's just trying to even get into this room. It's been crazy because of the fence that was out there and the big construction vehicles and everything. So I just want to say thank you to GRX for you guys uh, working through um, just what was kind of a difficult construction summer for the school. And so thanks for hanging in and enduring that. And uh, wow, I just feel like we're about to start the new ministry year. The sun is shining, the courtyard looks beautiful, the fence is down, and I just feel like, God, we've turned a corner. So I'm super happy about that. Now, if you've been here through uh, this chunk of time, you know that we're in a, the middle of a series called uh, Why the Church? And we're looking at these, these things that are important for us, for GRX particularly. What is it about GRX that is important for us? In the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at, first of all, Jesus We come here every Sunday. We gather in small groups. We teach vacation Bible school. We have kids in kids zone. We do stuff around here. We do adult discipleship because it's all about Jesus. Why do we gather in the church? Why do we gather each Sunday? We gather because of Jesus. And then last week we looked at community. As a church, something that's important to us is community. We're doing life groups starting up in mid-September, that's a way for us to grow in our discipleship and a way for us to build community with each other. And then today we're going to talk about healing, healing in the church. What do we look at and as we gather, why do we gather? We gather to come and to be healed by God. And the next week we're going to look at service. So Jesus, community, healing, and service. These four things, these four themes, these four um, big ideas around GRX. Today we're going to look at, look at healing. And I'm going to open up with just this question, what needs healing? If you thought about that question for you, what, what needs Healing. And there's a couple of different ways to dive into this question. Um, we can look at sort of healing at, a, at an individual level. This is we were gathering today in, the, in just praying before service with the team. We were just talking about how different people right now are, are, are facing various ailments. Kind of sick, they got fever, a little bit of flu going on. And so like what needs healing uh, in my life individually? So there could be physical healing, could be emotional healing could be um, relational healing. I got, I got some stuff going on with some other people. Man, I need, I need some relational healing. Or, or spiritual healing. Stuff that's been happened before in your past. Or, or healing from stuff from past wounds. Family, church, uh, even ourselves. Stuff that we've inflicted on ourselves. Self-inflicted uh, wounds. So we need, we need healing for that. But then there's another way to look at this. What needs healing? We could look at it uh, socially. We could look at it from a societal perspective or a community perspective. Um, that when we look at healing in our society, we need healing um, in our society racially. 
We need healing in our society ethnically. Um, economic healing. There's social injustice that's happening in our world. There's things that are going on like human trafficking. There's poverty. There's homelessness. And so there's, there's this great like longing that we have. It's not so much an individual healing, but sort of a corporate healing, a communal healing. And my hope is that as a church, as GRX, that we would be able to, as a community of God, as a people of God, be able to be God's agent of healing across all these different places, both individual healing and corporate healing. Now, we're not going to tackle all of this today in one sermon. We're not going to even tackle all of this together as a church in one year. But we gather as a church, we gather as God's people to be God's agents of healing, both individually in our lives and in the lives of one another, and also corporately in the world. That's why we serve beyond our walls here. That's why we're engaged in mission and in ministry beyond us. So as a church, why are we a church? Because we're about, we're about healing. Followers of Jesus Christ about healing. Now, I'm going to look at a passage today. It actually more falls into the arena of individual healing. And actually, um, two things get healed in this man. And it's, it's not really a well-known passage. Um, Jesus ref- refers to it one time, and I'll get into that a little bit later in the message. But it's a passage that comes out of the Old Testament. And the thing that, that uh, I'd like to raise for you, just for us to consider, when you think about the New Testament— a lot of our teaching in Scripture comes out of the New Testament, and it's like, do this, do this, do this. There's a lot of prepositions. There's a lot of propositions in the New Testament on how to live. In the Old Testament, we get more pictures. We get more pictures of what God is doing and how people are to live. It's more of a story. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at an Old Testament story of healing. And out of that, we're going to see how this man gets healed in two ways. And we're going to draw out from this, what is going on with healing? And what is God doing? And it gets at this question for us, what needs healing? So we're going to look at the Old Testament. I'm going to show you just briefly where it shows up in the New Testament in Jesus and how it links together and then what that means for us. Old Testament, New Testament, and then what that means for us. So in the Old Testament, I'm going to pull out of this book called 2 Kings, and it's chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. And uh, just before I read it, I'm going to give you a little bit of background so you know what we're going to get into. This is going to be a story about a guy named uh, Naaman. You can see him up there. And... um, as it says, he's the commander of the army of the king of Syria. Now, if, if you're reading in your Bible, and maybe you like to read the NIV, you're going to see that it's actually going to say that he is the chief of the army of the king of Aram. And so don't get thrown off by that. What that basically means is Aram is actually the region of, this is what it's, this is the area in the Middle East. Today, this area is called Syria. 
And so in the ESV, in this translation of the Bible, they chose to use today's sort of more modern translation. It was called Syria at about 400 B.C. But this actually takes place earlier than that, and the area is called Aram, also Damascus, the kingdom of Aram and Damascus, Damascus now being the capital city of Syria. So anyway, just if you're reading along in your Bible and you see NIV, it says Aram. That's why it says that. Different translators will use different things. But basically what this is, is this is a region to the northeast of Israel. This is a guy, and he's not an Israelite. But what he is, is he's a commander of this army. And so what do we know about a guy who's a commander of an army, and what are we going to see about Naaman? We're going to see that he was a great man. He was well-respected in his community. He was a warrior. He was powerful. He was used to being in charge. He was respected, and he was used to getting his own way. He was rich. He was conditioned to win. You could kind of think of him kind of like a COO kind of guy. A kind of a guy that if you, you just stick him in Silicon Valley in the South Bay, he's not the king, he's not the CEO or the president of the board, but he's kind of the guy that knew how to get things done. And he was, he was a favored COO of his organization. And his organization just happened to be the nation of Syria. So he's a pretty important guy. All right. So we're going to get into this, and you're going to see that he's got um, a very obvious need for healing, and then a second need for healing that maybe is going to be a little less obvious. So let's, let's read this together. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man, and his master, uh, with his master, and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given him victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. But he was a leper. Now, leper means, in, in the Old Testament times, that you have some kind of skin disease. Sometimes it, it's some sort of affliction that's kind of got your skin turns white. But leprosy actually here is a sort of a general term for any sort of, of skin disease. So if you're a dermatologist, it's sort of a wide range of stuff. But what it means is that you can see it. His illness is on the surface. And everybody knows that he's got it. Okay, so that's, that's, that's what he needs healing. That's the obvious one. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. So next slide, please. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He, the prophet, who is the prophet Elisha, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, which is the king of Samaria, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said to Naaman, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. This is a letter of recommendation. This is kind of how it was done in those days. It was kind of the king of Syria would write a letter on behalf of his faithful servant and chief of staff, Naaman, to say, hey, king of Israel, I am the king of Syria. We're equals. I'm a king. You're a king. Actually, I'm more powerful than you, so you better do what I say. 
That's what actually, that's what he's kind of throwing down here. I'm going to send you my chief of the army. We hear that you've got a prophet among you. We hear that. So we're going to send you with some gifts and my letter. And then basically he's saying, heal him. We hear you got this prophet in Israel. Heal him. That's what the letter says. So it's kind of a letter of recommendation, but it's kind of a letter of uh, sort of threat. It's kind of like, you better put up here. You got to do this thing. Okay? So he gets this letter. And Naaman, back, back please. Back one slide, please. So thanks. And so uh, Naaman brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you, Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Okay. Now the king of Israel then has to put up. All of a sudden, the stress level of the king of Israel goes way up. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm just a king. I'm not a dermatologist. What am I supposed to do with this? I need some cream. I need some cream. Somebody give me some cream. All right. So, and when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes. That's that's a sign of distress in the Old Testament. He tore his clothes and he said, am I God to kill and to make alive? Am I God? And this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy. This man, meaning the king of Syria, says, cure this guy. What am I supposed to do? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. See, the king of Syria is bringing this letter in and saying, cure this guy. Not curing him? Dude, man, you're disrespecting me. And the king of Syria is going to come in and just lay down some serious hurt on the king of Israel. That, that's, that's a modern translation of what this passage is about. Okay, You won't see that in print anywhere. right? So the king of Israel knows what's going on. He says, oh my gosh, if I don't heal this guy, the king of Syria is going to quarrel with me and going to invade me. right? So he's really tense about this. Okay, enter in Elisha the prophet. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, means he's in distress, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me. Let Naaman come to me. That's Elisha is saying, let Naaman come to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Okay, so the next slide, please. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots. He brought his big arsenal of entourage, his big power, and he brought his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. He stood at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger to him. Now, now notice this. This is very interesting. Elisha does not himself go out. Elisha sent a messenger to him. It's like Elisha sent his secretary to him. So Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Go wash in the Jordan River and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry 
and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. The next slide, please. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? See, in Damascus, in the capital city of Syria, there were these two rivers, but he wasn't washing there. He was asked to wash in the Jordan. So you have to think that this guy traveled about 70 miles with horses and chariots to stand outside of Elisha's door, and Elisha doesn't come out. It's his secretary who comes out and tells him, just go wash down in, in the Jordan, which is just down the street here a little bit. Just wash here. And he's like, I came 70 miles with horses and chariots to stand outside this house with all my people and all my power to get sent to wash in this little shrimpy river. The water back home is way better than here. Could I not wash in those rivers back home and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. He was angry and he went away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, speaking to Naaman, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So then notice this. What does Naaman do? So Naaman went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. All right. So what does this show us? And what are the two things that need to be cleaned in Naaman? Well, the first thing is pretty obvious. The first thing is his leprosy. The first thing that he needs to have cleaned from him is his skin affliction. And we see that, yes, God does heal him. But the second thing that he needs to be cleansed from, and this is the more difficult thing to see, the second thing that Naaman needs to be cleansed from is his expectations. His expectations need to be healed. See, what's going on with Naaman is he's such an important guy. He's such a powerful guy. He's a guy that's so used to getting his own way. He's so rich. He's so full of winning and doing the things the way he wants to do them that his expectations almost prevent him from being healed the way that God is wanting to heal him. I mean, here's the scene. We just saw it. I'm going to ask you to picture it again. That Naaman is there outside of Elisha's door. He's never done this before. He's a commander of armies. But he has never come face to face with a prophet. 
He's never come face to face with a man of God. So he's standing outside the door of Elisha the prophet, and he doesn't know what to do. He's kind of there, and he's like, oh, I don't, what do I do with this guy? What am I supposed to do? And he goes, okay, I know what I'll do first. I'll line up all my chariots and horses, because that's what armies do. We line up all our chariots and horses. And then this guy's going to come out, and I'm going to stand here. Now, how should I be with him? Should I, should I bow? Should I kneel before this man of God? No, I'm not going to do that because I'm, I'm a general. I'm a commander. So I'm just going to stand here. Uh, this is what I'll say. I'll say, good morning. I am Commander Naaman, commander of the armies of king of Syria. And after I set the tone, then what I'll do is I'll kind of back off a little bit. I'll go easy on him. I'll go bad cop, good cop. Then I'll go, hey, you know, prophet, man of God, I've heard a lot of great things about you. I really love your work, love what you do. And I've got a lot of money with me. And I'm a man that's used to getting things done. And I expect you know how to get things done. You know, kind of eye to eye, mutual respect, getting to yes. You know, he's got good management skills there. And then he's going to say, I'll make it worth your while. I got a lot of silver. I got a lot of gold. I got lots of clothing with me. That's what I'll do. I'll I'll square up. I'll square up Elisha. I'm a leader here. He's a leader. He's going to come out. We'll go head to head. I'll go bang. And then what I'll do, I'll back off on him. And that, yeah, and that's what he'll do. And that's how I'll treat him. And that's how he'll treat me. And we'll have a lot of respect. And then as Naaman is rehearsing, his script in his head, how he's going to approach this prophet. All of a sudden, the door cracks open. And this guy walks out. This undersecretary, this messenger. And he goes, hey, commander, go down and wash in Jordan seven times, and you'll be healed. It'll be all good. Thanks. Thanks. Shuts the door. Naaman's like, I'm Commander Naaman of... He's like, what's up with this? He goes, I'm a commander of thousands. And this one man, this prophet, cannot come out here? Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? And what? I came 70 miles for this to wash in this little stinking river. This guy comes out to me and he says, just splash around. This guy's dismissing me like I'm a child. What is going on here? Not to mention that he doesn't treat me with any kind of hospitality, doesn't give me any food, doesn't give me any water, doesn't show me any respect. And this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to be healed. And he turns away in a rage. Now the people that are around Naaman, they must really know him. They must really care for him. They must be really loyal to him. Because they could just say, oh man, dad's angry. Don't mess with him. 
the commander's really mad. But they come up to him. And I could just imagine them being real gentle. They use this term. They, they, they don't say commander. They, just, they say, my father. Hey. And it's almost as if they're saying, what were you expecting? What were you expecting? He's offered you healing. It's not come in the way you expected it. Naaman expected the prophet to come on out and wave his hands and make a big public spectacle. And then, I don't know, lightning, and thunder, and clouds, and the ground open up, and then, bam, he's totally healed. Fireworks, and rejoicing, and singing, and... No, he didn't get any of that. But his followers say, hey, you heard a word of healing. You heard a word of healing. Won't you just try it? It's not what you expected, but it's God's healing for you. And that, that is the beginning of Naaman's healing. That's the beginning of the second healing. That his expectations on God and the way that he thinks God should operate and the way that he thinks God should bring healing, his expectations begin to be healed. So he turns and he goes down to the river and like a kid, there in front of all of his other military might, he goes, strips down, walks into the river, kneels down, washes himself, one, two, three, maybe partway through, he's like, I can't even believe I'm doing this. This is so dumb. This is not going to work. I came 70 stinking miles for this. Four, five, six. Man, I don't even know why I showed up. Seven. And the scripture tells us he rose up out of the water and he was clean. You know, it's a really tough thing to get healed from leprosy. And I would suggest to us that it's an equally tough thing to get healed of our expectations that we put on God. It's tough to get healed from leprosy. And it's also equally tough to get healed from all the expectations we put on God. But for Naaman this day, he got healed of both. Both things. In the New Testament, this story shows up in the life of Jesus Christ. It only shows up one place. It shows up in Luke chapter 4. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but if you want to go back and read this, it's a very, very interesting scene. Jesus Christ is in the city of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is up on a hill. 
And Jesus, before this, had been doing all these kind of miracle healings down in Capernaum, which is down right by the Sea of Galilee. I mean, literally, it's down. It's a lower elevation. And so Jesus had been healing people in Capernaum, and Jesus' reputation was such that people began to expect Jesus to create all this healing all over the region. And so as Jesus had been doing all this healing in Capernaum, word got out and word got up to the city of Nazareth, which was up on a cliff, that Jesus could do all this healing. And so when Jesus traveled up to Nazareth and started teaching, people said, ooh, ah, wow, he is a great teacher. And then the people in that town, in Nazareth, began to expect that Jesus would also do all kinds of healing for them. They laid all these expectations on for what they wanted God to do and how they expected God to act. And that's when Jesus tells the story of Naaman. And Jesus tells a story and says, you know, at the time of the prophet Elisha, there were many people in the nation of Israel who needed healing. But it was only Elisha who healed Naaman, the Syrian. Now, what was Jesus saying there? Jesus was saying that all you guys in the nation of Israel are expecting God to bring all this healing to you salvation to you, wholeness to you. But Jesus says, I've come not only to heal you guys, but I've come to heal the people that you guys call your enemies. This Syrian empire who was even then trying to do a power play on Israel, even then Jesus says, I've come to heal the world. And remember that story from the prophet Elijah? He didn't heal all Israel. He went and healed Syria, your oppressor. And Jesus says, that's what I've come to do. Now this was totally against the expectations of all those people in Nazareth. And if you know how the story goes, this is the scene where the people in Nazareth heard Jesus' teaching they heard Jesus refer to Naaman. And then what do they do? They take Jesus and they try to throw him off the cliff of Nazareth. They are so angry and they are in such a rage that they try to throw him off the cliff. It reminds me of the rage and anger of Naaman when God didn't show up for him in the way that he expected. And in Nazareth, when Jesus doesn't show up the way they expect him, there's anger. See, that's why I'm saying the healing of our expectations on God are so tough to heal. What needs healing? What needs healing for us as followers of Jesus Christ. 
there's something in our culture and in our area, and I think it's particularly true in the Bay Area. You know, this is my last point. I'm going to go with this. But we looked at the Old Testament. We looked at the New Testament. What does this mean for us? When I look around us and I see us, we live in an incredibly affluent place in the world. We live in a place where you turn on the tap and the water runs out and we can drink that water. We live in a place in the world where you can plug something into the wall and you can get electricity. We live in a place where you can get medical care. We live in a place where there's schools and there's education. Wow, we live in an incredible place. But we also live in a place and in a culture where all around us, there's a high expectation that we as people can get everything we want in the way that we want it and in the style that we want it, in the drink cup size that we want with the low-fat milk or the full whole milk. No, thanks, I'll take the soy milk and I'm vegan and I'm ovo, whatever, so I got to work all this. We can get it the way that we want it. And sometimes I wonder about the air that we breathe is an air of entitlement that we get into our lungs and into our life daily, nearly imperceptibly. And the temptation, our temptation, is to live out of a place, even when we come before God, out of a place of entitlement, out of a, out of a temptation, out of a place of great expectation that God's going to show up in the way that we expect him to show up. And, and I, call this, it, it's, I call this a temptation to want to have an iPhone or an Android life where everything in my life works like an app. And my relationship with God runs that way too. It's effortless. It's efficient. It's elegant. It runs the way I expect it to run. I push a little button and it performs. And that's what I expect. And the temptation is to say, hey, shouldn't all of life run that way? And shouldn't God run that way? Well, as disciples of God, as disciples of Jesus Christ, real life doesn't run that way. Real life and real relationships and real community and real small groups and real church, real relationships are messy along with being incredibly beautiful. There's joy and there's sorrow. There are people who are easy to get along with and there are people that are tough to get along with. There are people that come through for us and there are people that disappoint us. And I say this for us here because as the church, as GRX, as disciples of Jesus Christ, our calling as Christ followers 
is to take our hopes and our expectations and our dreams and to place those hopes, expectations, and dreams and place them under, under what God is wanting to do and the healing that God is wanting to work among us. See, it's hard to have our expectations healed. But I think when we can get on board and see, hey, this is what God is calling us to do. God is calling us to walk with one another, to be agents of healing with one another. Then we can open up our eyes to see the ways that God is healing and working among us. It's not easy to do. It was really hard for Naaman to do. It was so hard for the people in Nazareth to do that they wanted to throw Jesus off the cliff. But Jesus does want to work healing among us. It might not be the way that we think it's going to come, but he wants to work healing among us. And thanks be to God that he gives us our community, GRX, to live out that healing. Let me offer a prayer for us together. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you so much for our church. God, I thank you so much for this community. God, we're talking about the volunteer appreciation coming up, and I thank you, God, for all the people who volunteer here to make this community what it is. God, I thank you for our staff and for the way that our staff works so hard to serve and bless people that are here. God, we want to be your followers. We want to be people, God, who look to you and to see the way that you are working and moving and healing in the world. And so, God, what needs healing among us? God, I pray that you would bring healing to us in the ways that we need it. And God, help us to see the way that you are opening up healing for us. I ask this in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our healer and Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.